So they're seeking. They're, they're seeking how can I incorporate faith into my business. And so what, what I'm telling them is, yes, you can have a Bible study. Yes, you can have a prayer meeting, serve communion. Uh, you can do all these things. You can have a workplace chaplain. But there's four steps that I'd like to you know, tell them that you need to follow. Bob Pruitt is Senior Counsel, Corporate Affairs Director for Alliance Defending Freedom, which is the world's largest legal organization committed to protecting religious freedom, free speech, marriage and family, parental rights, and the sanctity of life. Bob is interviewed by Benedictine College professor and Thompson Center Director Dave Geenans. Listen in as they discuss freedom of speech and best practices for integrating Christian identity into the workplace. Benedictine College is transforming culture in America, one conversation at a time. From our studios in Atchison, Kansas, these are the Benedictine Dialogues. Bob, it's so great to have you on the Benedictine College campus. Thank you so much for investing the time. Well, thank you. It's my full pleasure. Uh, what, what a blessing. What a beautiful campus. This is my first time here thank and you. Uh, just gorgeous. Thank you. We look forward to hosting you to, tomorrow for the symposium as well. Yeah, that's another privilege and a blessing. Oh, thank you. You betcha. You betcha. So with any podcast, we don't know who's going to be watching, but I trust that there are going to be business leaders watching and certainly students on this campus, if not from other Catholic colleges, uh, watching this podcast. So so you've trans so the opportunity for ADF arises. Tell us about that experience, what you saw, and uh, what moved you or called you to, to that particular role. And that happens to be the role you're in today. Is that That's correct? correct? That's correct. That's okay. correct. Uh, Alliance Defending Freedom is the uh, world's largest uh, legal organization, nonprofit legal organization. And what we focus in on is religious liberty, freedom of speech, sanctity of life, uh, family and marriage and parental rights. And so that's our lane. Uh, we've had like the Masterpiece Cake Shop case with Jack Phillips. Uh, Lori Smith is another case that went to the Supreme Court uh, that's gonna be heard. Uh, oh, it's already been heard, the arguments were this past December, but the uh, opinion will probably be released sometime in June of this year. And so uh, it's a, a freedom of speech case. But uh, so we've had in the last 10 years, 14 Supreme Court victories. So uh, in the different realms of our society, so whether it's schools or ministries or uh, businesses, if they have issues with the government uh, intervention where the government is saying, uh, you must follow this sexual orientation, gender identity law that we have, and, and you can't decide what you want to do on your own. you got to do this. So if you're going to, like in Lori Smith's case, it's called 303 Creative, and she's a website designer in the state of Colorado said, if you're going to produce websites for heterosexual couples, then you're going to have to produce uh, websites for same-sex marriages. And so... It's kind of like the cake the, story, Kind of the cake right? situation. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, that was uh, decided, excuse me, that was decided on a different issue. Uh, they had, the, in, in Jack Phillips's case, it wasn't a free speech issue because they decided that uh, on a matter of um, constitutional law, if, if the state is a bad actor, uh, then the, kind of the victory goes to uh, the, the person, and then that was kind of Jack's case. They had talked about his faith and being similar to uh, Nazi uh, and, and Holocaust and just really, uh, you know, took a hostile approach to him. 
And so that was the kind of the foundation of right. his victory. Yeah, I remember that in the media that it was a very hostile, yeah, very hostile. perspective. Um, so, are you is ADF the attorney of record in those cases, or are you the the back? I'm, I'm not using professional terms, but the back office attorney that's advising the the attorney of record. So we have uh, close to 100 attorneys, and uh, we work uh, nationwide. And so um, most of those cases um, we have direct involvement in, uh, where we're the counsel. So for the 303 creative case that was argued in December, uh, Christian Wagner, who is our CEO, general counsel, and president, uh, she argued that case in front of the Supreme Court in December. Um, so we're uh, highly involved in, in, a, in a lot of cases. But there are so many, like during COVID and you know, that we're a horrible situation where governments were saying um, essential businesses include casinos and liquor stores, but not churches, right? Right. So, you know, we needed help. And um, we have an allied attorney network of 4,600 attorneys across the nation. So they help us with the pro bono aspects of it. So we mentioned Jack Phillips, we mentioned Lori Smith, all of our representation is pro bono. And so we're blessed by the Lord and our donors uh, wow. that, that provide us the, the, the funding for all that. Uh, and then our allied attorney network will do pro bono work, but we also will provide them, let's say that uh, I find out that a company wants a, a Christian attorney or faith-based attorney and they need some tax work or some real estate work, then we can also utilize uh, our network for that yeah. purpose. Great. Yeah. That's great. So now you're in the commercial uh, counseling role at ADF. Um, I, I'd love to learn more about specific clients, and, and, and I know you have to be discretionary, <laughs> and I don't, want to, I don't need the names of the clients, but what are some of the biggest fears that clients that you've consulted with, what, what are they, because I imagine our audience to this podcast is going to be, if they aren't already sitting on their seats, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to get there really fast. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your experience tell you about that without naming names? Yeah. So, uh, I have the blessing to go and travel across our country and get to meet with, uh, businessmen and women that have faith and they want to exercise it to some degree but they don't know what their rights are. And, and so there's really not any, uh, uh, we do produce a manual, but, but you know, there, there's not, unless you know where to go, uh, it's, it's not real easy to find. And so you, know, you might just hear from the media source or, or some of these issues and problems saying, well, I don't want any part of that. And, but um, th so they're seeking, they're, they're seeking how can I incorporate you know, faith into my business. And so what, what I'm telling him is, yes, you can have a Bible study. Yes, you can have a prayer meeting. Yes, you can have serve communion. Uh, you can do all these things. You can have a workplace chaplain. But there's four steps that I'd like to, you know, tell them that you need to follow. Can I push pause for just a second? Because it's, it's, it's almost like you, are you reading from the same book that they, that they are or that the, where, where the people are getting their information from outside of ADF, is it the same law book where, where they don't know their rights or is it a function of what people are speaking into the cultural megaphones that are misinforming people? Well, I think it's more, in my experience, more the latter. Um, so you can't 
really underestimate the the media and when I call you know big media. So your main, you know, what we grew up in, NBC, CBS, ABC, and how they're presenting certain things. And so will they highlight the problem and not the benefit? Absolutely. And so that's what they see. That's what they're hearing. And so it's not until you start looking at, uh, we're not the only group out there, but you know, Alliance Defending Freedom is the largest that looks out there and says, you can have faith in the workplace. You can share the love of Christ. Uh, and, 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 the, and people, I don't remember what uh, administrator it was, but they said, you know, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and so they don't, but they are seeking it and they are going to this conference. And, you know, when I ask, it's like, well, who thinks that you can serve communion at, at your business? I would say even now, I mean, I've been at this for four years, but I would say now, you know, I would say a good majority of them would say, I don't think you can do that. I don't, but you absolutely can. Um, and, and so are we yeah. ready to hit the unpause yes, button? Yes, I was okay. going to go back to the four. I'm sorry okay. for interrupting you on no, that one. But no, the, no. yeah, what are those four things that we need to hear about? So the primary one is it needs to be voluntary. It can't be mandatory. Uh, you need to be able to explain to them that it doesn't impact their employment or their employee benefits if they have, if they don't participate or if they go and don't, you know, have a high level participation that in no way can reflect their, their bonus, their performance review, the employee benefits. Uh, those got to be completely and separate and distinct. And you really have to focus on performance. So that, so what I, main thing is voluntary. What I suggest, let's say you're going to have a Bible study. I recommend that you send out an email to everybody, inviting them to, for, because you want to make sure everybody's invited, even though, you know, it might be a, called a Bible study. Uh, describe it. And then the other part of that is, is having a language in there that says that we're having a Bible study at noon on Thursday and you're welcome to come. I mentioned the correct craft boats. Uh, they, uh, they had, I went to one of theirs that was on Thursday. They serve pizza. But everybody could get the pizza, not just the people that stayed for the Bible study. So mm -hmm. you could have people getting pizza and walking out. Great, that's fine. No one's making note of that. that that's okay. And They'll still be hungry though later, right? Probably <laughs> using um, a biblical reference. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's not uh, the the Lord's um, meal. Yes. But so on that, that you, you send an email. Then you say, well, maybe not everybody is on the email. Great. Post it. You know where you have to post other like EOC notices, post it there, let them people know, let them know that it's voluntary, let them know it's not going to impact their employment whatsoever. And then what I would recommend is having it on um, off hours. So before work, during lunch, break, after work. Why? Two main reasons. First reason is, is that it emphasizes the voluntary nature of it. Secondly, I think it reduces animosity amongst your employees. I'll give you an example. So let's say that you have a sales department and there's four and Mary and Joseph are going to go to a 10 o'clock in the morning Bible study. And let's say Sally and Dave are going to stay behind. You can only imagine Sally and Dave's discussion well, why Mary and Joseph go off to this yeah, Bible we're... study? We've got to cover their phones, we've got to cover their desk. That's not right. I'm not getting paid anymore. They're getting paid to go to a Bible study. I got you. So you reduce that animosity. That makes sense. And then if you're going to have any level of 
uh, let's say religious activity, Bible study, prayer meetings, uh, any of that, I recommend that you have a statement of faith that you um, put in somewhere in your corporate documents, bylaws, articles of incorporation. Uh, that's important. And is this item number two, the statement of faith, or well, does actually, that go along I'm, I'm with already, the voluntary? I'm already on number four. On number so, four, okay. So one was the big <laughs> was voluntary, <laughs> and then getting the message out, emailing okay. the invitations out. And then the, the third piece being that you, you need to make sure that um, you're trying to make the best way to say this, but, but basically that you're... Avoiding the animosity, that piece of the puzzle. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So okay. The, Thank the, you. you're putting it on different hours. Thank okay. you. Yeah. And then the fourth item again? Is the statement of faith. Gotcha. So that sounds, I mean, as, as someone who's been in business for a long time, again, I would bet you if I called my counsel, they would advise me the exact opposite. Why are you suggesting if not stronger word than suggesting that somebody puts a statement of faith into their legal documents? Because courts have looked at whether you're bringing a case or whether you're defending a case, if you're gonna do it on, because of, of your faith, and remember it's one of the protected classes for Title VII, 15 or more employees through the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, you have protected classes, race, creed, color, sex, religion. So, uh, case of Hobby Lobby. So this goes back three some odd years. Uh, the Affordable Health Care Act comes out and it mandated that employers have abortifacients, abortion drugs, in their health plans, mandated. Well, the Green family that owns the uh, Hobby Lobby, wonderful organization, thousand stores uh, nationwide, uh, very strong in their faith, just felt like that they're big on sanctity of life and that it's a very closely held belief of theirs and they did not want to have abortifacients on their healthcare plans that they would provide to their employees. And so they took it all the way to the Supreme Court and Supreme Court agreed with the Greens that they could have faith in the workplace. They could uh, to have faith to the point where they could have an exception to the law that mandated that they have an abortifacients and, and then what they did, because a court can test this, the sincerity of your belief. Okay. And so actually, if you go to that opinion, you can see what Hobby Lobby has as their statement of faith in their corporate documents. And that's what the, that's what the court relied upon to be able to find this exception. Gotcha. Well, wow, so and that's a that's a big name with a big case that exactly. would reinforce exactly your sentiment that you're sharing with the uh, audience here. And I dare say, let's say that they did not, then it'd been difficult or more difficult to prove that the company was a faith-based company. Have you ever desired a deeper understanding of the life of Jesus? Be sure to check out the extraordinary story with Tom Hoops. This is The Extraordinary Story, a podcast about the life of Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, entered the confusing maze that is our world to show us who we are and to give us his cross as a ladder up and out. This is his story and ours, The Extraordinary Story. The Extraordinary Story has been featured in The Loop, Alatea, Our Sunday Visitor, and Relevant Radio. You can listen to The Extraordinary Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And now, back to the show. 
you've always heard it's not where you start, it's where you finish. And we're at an age where we finished at different places than where we started. But your career path is going to be of interest. Could you please share a little bit about how your career started? How did you get into law? What was that practice like? And and uh, look forward to hearing about that. Sure, I appreciate it. Uh, so basically, uh, I don't know if it was uh, Perry Mason or, or what it was, but uh, you're since, dating yourself, you know, I know right? I know. right well, yeah. Since the fourth grade, uh, I either wanted to be a sports broadcaster or an attorney. And so I felt like that hopefully there was more opportunities to be an attorney. And I thought I wanted to be a civil litigator. So I was for the first eight years and uh, practiced in Houston. And so I uh, did that and Lord uh, bless that. And I was uh, we were successful, made partner. Uh, but there was just something, I'll just say something missing. And, uh, and, and so uh, there was a, uh, I guess a weekend is called Walk to Emmaus. And Lord got a hold of me uh, this weekend. And it's, it's an intensive uh, kind of faith-based uh, weekend and, and a lot of, um, but anyway, it's, it's called Walk to Emmaus. And he really just kind of shook me and said, this is not the path I had you on. And being a litigator is, is great, but the hours are crazy. And I wasn't being the husband I needed to be. I wasn't being the father that I needed to be. And so fortunately the Lord took a hold of me in my career path. And uh, very soon after that, I uh, went to work as in-house counsel so there's a lot more work-life balance uh, at, at a uh, national distributor, or actually a regional distributor. It's one of the two independent regional distributors for vehicles in the whole nation. Um, and so went in-house for that. Uh, that led to an opportunity to be general counsel at a company outside of San Antonio. It's a chemical manufacturing company in the automotive sector, and started there uh, for it's about five, six years as this general counsel. And then we had an executive management change and it was named president. And uh, the rest of my uh, time was there um, as, as in the presidential role. Wow. So for someone who's not in the legal profession like me, differentiate for me the difference between being a civil litigator and general counsel at a company. So as a civil litigator, you're preparing cases to go to trial and you're outside counsel. So you're, uh, you ha might have 15, 20, 30 different clients and they'll either be bringing a lawsuit against some entity or you're representing, and I typically did the representing side. So that might've been on a product liability case, a medical malpractice case where I represent doctors or um, you know, in, in this case, it was a lot of automobile dealers. They might be sued for uh, different purposes and the distributorships. And so through that, uh, you basically prepare cases, go to trial. Many people don't know this. Only about 5% of the cases actually get to trial. Most of them are either dismissed or settled. they're settled. Yeah. And uh, so, but you don't know which ones are going to settle. And a lot of them settle there literally on the courthouse steps. Uh, so you're preparing cases for trial and, you know, so you've got what we call discovery. So it's depositions, interrogatories, written questions, requests for production, requests for documents. And then you have hearings and, and all that. Uh, and then depending on the court and where you're at, but two, three, four years later, uh, you might get to go to trial. 
And wow. I probably had 13 trials uh, during my eight years. And that's, that was even probably heavy as far as people getting Making to Making it trial. to trial. Yeah. Interesting. And then as general counsel, what you're doing is that your own client, you have one client mm -hmm. as opposed to 30, and that's your company that you work for. And so usually as general counsel, uh, you're kind of the filter for the HR department uh, and their issues, employment issues. What do, how do we need to say this? How do we need to say that? Uh, you're managing litigation versus in the courthouse. Mm -hmm. you're, you might have, if you have three or four different lawsuits or, or 50, uh, you have outside counsel that, uh, like I was doing, and, and so you're managing what they're doing and keeping up with what's happening and where it's going, and you're reporting on that. You're reporting on all the different legal uh, areas to typically the board or the executive team. And then you're reviewing contracts. So you uh, might have software contracts or whatever it may be. And so you're doing that. But yeah. it's, it, the main difference is you're representing one company versus right. a bunch of them as a litigator. As someone who's been in business, um, we, ne we never had a, a business that was of size enough to have a general counsel. I'm curious, just trivially almost, at what size is it appropriate, do you think, for a, a company that they can leverage and benefit from an in-house general counsel? It's a good question. I'll throw the first answer, uh, the attorney answer, which is it depends. But typically, uh, it does depend on what industry you're in, because if you have a lot of regulations and a lot of government control, then it could be less. But typically, it's around 100 plus employees is usually where I've seen wow. the dividing line. Uh, sometimes maybe up to 100, 150. But at that point in time, it's more beneficial and certainly probably cost effective for companies to have their own legal department. Gotcha. When I was, I led three companies that had more than 100 employees, so I must have missed the, must have missed the memo <laughs> missed from, the memo. A, from an attorney <laughs> to hire a general counsel. Yeah. But uh, yeah. very interesting. When we left the conversation a little bit ago, you were at a, a transition point. You were general counsel within the company, Correct. and then there was a, a CEO or executive turnover. Tell us about that. If you could give us a little bit more uh, information about that, and where did you end up after all that shuffle of the deck occurred? Sure. So, you know, as uh, general counsel, you know, we did have a, a time at the, the president, and... Um, I'm trying to make a long story short and, and probably have some discretion here, but um, let's just say that uh, he kind of got away from his faith and, uh, and it caused kind of a ripple effect. Um, and so with respect to his duties and, and what he, uh, you know, whether or not he was able to function as we needed him to function as our president and CEO. So if I could follow that up. So so you're more than insinuating that faith was an important part of that business. I don't want to just leave that lie. Okay. Tell us about that, because that's not normal, at least in my, the conversations I have. Most people would not volunteer that, even if it was true. You volunteered it. Tell us about what, what, how, why faith was such a big part of that company. So we were uh, transitioning into an ESOP company, Employee Stock Ownership Program. And so that's where the employees have actually, you know, ownership in the, the company and they could have 5%, they could have 100%. And so we were transitioning for that. And as part of that, 
I always kind of felt like that you really wanted to integrate the your, your company and what they're doing and having an engaging experience for employees. And we felt like a necessary piece of that was to be able to have some level of faith in the workplace. And so at that time, it was early on, but I think we had a workplace counselor. And uh, there, you know, there's now, you know, they call them marketplace chaplains or corporate chaplains of America, and those are some entities. But um, we were having that, and you could see the difference that, you know, that because we're all broken, we all have issues, we all have problems, sometimes more than others. And if to have a resource at your business that someone can go to on a confidential basis and be able to share with them what's going on. And the workplace counselors, uh, they are very well trained. Uh, we had actually, they were pastors. And so they knew that only until they established a relationship with, with the employees that they might be able to introduce the subject of you know, who Christ is and, mm -hmm. and Christ's love for them. Um, but at first it's just sharing, you know, what, and, and maybe, you know, kind of helping them along, uh, kind of walking beside them. And so that was kind of the beginning of that. Uh, then after this executive change that we had, um, so I wanted to go and kind of put the hammer down, if you will, on our faith. Because uh, I just I, I believe that that was the direction that we needed so to go. So you were selected as, as the CEO. I was, okay. yes, sir. And um, and so what we uh, we did is we kind of went the full Monty on it. Uh, so we had Bible studies. Uh, we had uh, where John Eldridge's book uh, Wild at Heart, yeah, and yeah, so sure. we you know did Great that. Book. And we had the uh, workplace chaplain. Um, we had opportunities that we had an employee cup fund. So if you know someone had like, for example, a fire at their apartment and they lost things, then this uh, employee cup fund purchased, you know, like had them able to repaint and put carpet back down and get a laptop back for them, just help them get on their feet. Um, we had some minimum wage uh, employees and maybe during this uh, time there was time to take their, their kids back to school, maybe they didn't have enough money for school supplies or clothes. And so that was part mm. of the employee fund. Uh, so we were really focused in on being engaged with our employees. You, you can't solve their problems, but you can certainly walk alongside with them. And so mm. we wanted to be a part of that. And, and so uh, we can get in later, but you know, the, the, it was part of that uh, and our successes that, that you know, it, it was certainly you could point to our level of engagement, what we're doing, and that was making us successful on the financial end, on being a best place to work end. It all mm. you know, worked together under God's hand. Right, how many employees are we talking about at this company when you took over the helm? Right around 100. Right around 100? Yes. So I'm, I'm gonna roll the clock back just a little bit. So when you went from being a civil litigator and joined this company as general counsel, were they explicit about the faith element in the business and how how did that impact you and your choice to i mean obviously you had some practical issues of hours and 30 clients versus one and not being the the spouse father that you had mentioned uh curious about that sure so um I went from the litigator to the distributorship and that was a good sized company and so i was senior counsel there uh, but then went to, uh, that was in Houston, and then went to this um, business in, outside of San Antonio. And so for me, one of the reasons that, that 
kind of intrigued me about this was actually the, the president's faith. At the time, his wife was having some health issues, and he, in a um, email uh, to different uh, folks that were in the automotive industry, said, "Would you be in prayer about for my wife?" And and I, I whether certainly wasn't going to hear that in legal when I was doing litigation. Uh, I, I hadn't you know, great values the, the corporation I was working at, but I had not heard someone share their faith openly like that. And so that was really uh, the precursor for me to um, be intrigued and, and listen, because I, I really enjoyed the job I had in Houston. But this, uh, I thought, well, you know, Lord, I, I really did. I felt wow. the Lord leading me to this position because there's a much smaller company, but I felt like there, there was that tug there that yeah. said, I've got something for you here. So when you arrived, because there's one thing for a CEO to say that and, hey, uh, I want to be held accountable for my Christian faith. Did you see manifestations of that? Because you said you, you did the full, you put the, the pedal down, the full Monte once you took over the helm. Uh, was there truth in what, what the CEO was representing in terms of his faith and his company when you got there as general counsel? Yeah, I mean, there was, there were some things that, um, you know, after six months uh, that if you are going to hold yourself up and you are going to be accountable. Uh, because people that may not be of your faith are going to certainly say, really, you're a Christian. Really, that's a background. You, you're not any different than the bosses I've had before. Yeah. What's different? So, yes, there's a lot of accountability. And I think that was part of you know, why maybe in other companies that would, he would have survived. But he didn't because right. we did have a lot of high level yeah. of accountability. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of a flyer on this one that... Um, in your experience and having lived the choice and, and been born witness to the choice of somebody to say, to extend themselves and say, hey, I am a Christian in whatever tradition that, you, that I practice it. Do you think the fear of accountability is, is as much as an obstacle? Because once you go on record, <laughs> you know, and you're sitting in the top chair, you're on record and, and you can do a lot of damage if you don't do it. I'm just curious in your experience, uh, is, is that a real obstacle as you interact with so many people around the country in your current role? I'm so I, I think that it, it is, um, but I think that if you're strong in your faith, you, you know who your Savior is, and you know what being a life that's led by that, what that is. So that kind of really takes away some of the concerns that you would have of, oh, I'm going to be accountable. Well, heck, yes, you're going to be accountable because you, you ought to be accountable. Um, you know, one of the things that the message, one of the messages I preach is that, you know, faith isn't just on Sunday. You need to be living faith every day. And, 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 and yes, if that shows you, if you're walking across the campus here or you're in downtown Houston or downtown Kansas City and you need to reflect Christ. And because people are looking at you. And as, as a company, the people that don't have faith in your company are going to be, how is he handling this? Is he going to be honest with this? Is he, or, you know, is it going to be something else different? And I know there's, there was a couple times I, I, I thought in good faith it was not as honest as, as the, the situation could be, but I, I, I was trying to protect um, people and what happened. Mm, right. and, and, you know, know where I'm going. And, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and, as an attorney, especially, you know, because yeah. I know how you would advise me. Yeah. If, if I would come to you in terms of discretion, you used the term discretion earlier or, you know, avoiding defamation or slander and certainly those types of things and not and just for the sake of not hurting somebody. Right. And so I did take uh, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I can't probably get the details of that, but you know, there was, you know, some level of truth in what I said, because it, it, but I wasn't just as honest as I probably need to be. And, and I've learned from that because I thought I, I've got to be in more prayer. I can't, you know, try to take it over myself. And Lord, I, you know, thanks for all the help when I needed it. I've got it now. No, you always need the Lord. You always need that. And I, I wish I would have been better uh, about, you know, really holding the line on the truth, even though I may have been trying to protect someone or protect our company. Um, it, it's just in the, in the end, it's not worth it. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's profound coming from as learned an attorney as you, because that's, that's always been a tension point when I was leading my companies, because the attorneys were always very risk averse, almost at the expense of trust. Yeah. And I was always hypersensitive about trust. And I'm sure I drove my attorneys <laughs> crazy, but I said, no, I can't not speak this. I'm not, and I'm not trying to harm anyone. I understand your, your counsel and I appreciate it, but I need to say it like this. So what, you know, I'll counsel a lot of companies now uh, that are faith-based companies. And so one of the things I say is like, well, you can sue a sandwich for not having enough mayo on it. <laughs> So, you know, the bar is very low on being yeah, sued. Yeah. However, you know, uh, if you want to have your best life, be fulfilled in what you're doing, be an ambassador for Christ, because that's what the Bible asks us to do, no matter where you're at, whether you're, you know, a, a janitor or the CEO or somewhere in between, you know, the Lord asks us to be ambassadors for Him. And so to, to you know, kind of talk about that, I'll say, you know, we need to be as wise as serpents. So yes, um, but it's, it's, but if we can reach out to the Holy Spirit and be in prayer about what that is and being fervent about that, then a lot of the struggle about maybe protecting something or protecting the company that you may kind of white lie something, uh, I mean, you know, when I've done that, when I've really released it and surrendered to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I'm, you know this pickle. You know what I'm in. I need your help. I need your guidance. And some of the most amazing ways to that I didn't even think about on my own because it wasn't mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. comes through in that. Yeah, I've I've had similar experiences for sure. Wow, that's good. When so you were very aggressive when you became the CEO of the company, and. Um, what resources did you use? Did you find anything that was a book or uh, consultants or somebody that, that made this a lot easier as you tried to not recreate the wheel, but leverage perhaps other people's knowledge? So one of the resources, uh, maybe a plug for uh, C12, uh, so the C12 forum, uh, that I was a member of that. And so once a month you would go and be with other faith-based leaders. And this was while you were general counsel? No, or while you were while CEO? president. Because okay. they, they, they have groups that are key players, but the main group are your CEOs and presidents and uh, owners of these companies. And so you can share that. And that was very instrumental. 
Um, we, some books like uh, Patrick Lencioni's books that we, we took a lot from him. Uh, he's strong Catholic and he's really um, helping out now, uh, not now, I mean, but he always has, but even more deliberately yes. faith-based yes. companies. And yeah. so we've experienced that at Alliance Defending Freedom. And so uh, he's really helped us, Marcus Buckingham, focusing on your strengths. So, you know, worked all those out. And, and you could see the level of engagement of our employees. You'd see that we were best place to work both regionally and even nationally. Uh, our revenue uh, grew. Um, so you'd see the Lord's hand in it. And you can see that there's proof in the pudding wow. when you're in, having engaged employees like that. Very interesting. Okay. So walk us now from your CEO of this company. You've implemented a lot of uh, faith-oriented practices. You've received the benefits of the C12 Forum, and you've obviously read the books that are, are common in today's world, because I agree with your uh, view of, of Patrick Lencioni. He's had books for a long time, but he's really being bold now with his, uh, with his face, with I, which I tip my hat to, yes, to him in doing that, because yes. he has such influence over other people. Um, what was the next step for you, and how long were you the CEO of this company? Uh, so for, what, uh, 10 years, 10, 11 years uh, that I was. And um, so some of the blessings that we had, and again, nothing uh, short of the Lord. Some of that period was during the Great Recession. Uh, with the Lord's hand, we only lost 1% of revenue during that time. Um, the last 10 years that I was there, uh, so this is pretty much my, my level of when I was president, we went from $350 per share valuation to $33,500 per share for our annual valuation. So, wow. Lord's hand was in you that. You would be CEO of the year by most <laughs> common metrics of uh, stock price uh, increase. But, That's uh, fabulous. But, uh, you know, and I, but you know what's interesting is that although those are wonderful accomplishments, and I praise the Lord for every one of them, the most important accomplishment I had there is that we were a faith-based company we provided opportunities for employees to know about the love of Christ. And many accepted Christ. Wow. Um, and so, you know, the Holy Spirit moves the hearts. We didn't do that, but we did provide opportunities. And the, the wonderful evaluation, wonderful being a best place to work, wonderful about having some national companies as your uh, clients, all that's wonderful. But it doesn't, it's pale. All those are pale in comparison to changing people's, people's lives, lives and see that when they accepted Christ and how he transforms them. Wow. So you grew the company value a lot. And then did you just unilaterally say, okay, I'm, I'm done with this? Or how did that, how did your next transition uh, happen? In the area of time, I have to show a little discretion. But um, so uh, there were uh, a couple issues that we were, um, having to go through and some personnel decisions. And basically I just came to a level of uh, disagreement with the direction and where we ought to go with our company. Our mission statement was honoring God by serving our customers and each other with excellence. We were very bold with that. So that was on our website. So there was some talk amongst the board, hey, we need to take that off the, the website. We can still have it. But, and, and so some other directional type of, and, and I was like, you know, not under my watch. Well, <laughs> you know, God had different plans. So uh, I did need to resign. Um, and then, but that brought up the opportunity to work for Alliance Defending Freedom, which gotcha. we do now. Have you uh, heard Peter Freisler's story 
about the pressure he got when he put their mission, similar mission on their business card, which is spelled out very well in his business card book? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So Polydeck, right? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Polydeck, where the sales force urged him, please don't don't make us go into our clients and show the business card. And what happened was when they showed the business card, the person says, I'm going to give you 100% of the business because I like dealing with people who have principles. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. yeah that's and it's, that, and it's that, awesome. Again, it's, it's, it's awesome. that dichotomy, that, that sensitivity, the, um, the tension that you have to walk, right? That's exactly but right. But God honors those who, are, who remain faithful. Reminds me of uh, Correct Craft Boats. They're out of Orlando, Florida, so they make ski nautique boats now. But back when they started, uh, their, their founder, uh, they were given a World War II contract. And they had a, you know, at that time, we need to put all of our resources. So they got a contract to build boats. And they said, but we're not going to work on Sunday. And that was almost a deal killer with the government at that time. They said, we're going to make the same amount of boats that you have from your other contractors, same amount, but we're not going to work on Sunday. And it turned out they were producing actually more than the competitors that did work Sunday. Wow. Well, there you have it. Well, so as we wind our discussion up, assuming there are business leaders in our audience watching this podcast who have been instructed on their rights from the big media, as you, as you shared, as opposed to perhaps what ADF is, is sharing, what advice would you give them if they're very interested and they've made the decision that they want to orient their business in a, in a Christian fashion or invite God into their work or whatever phrasing they're comfortable with, um, what would be the next steps or the advice you would give them? We have a free resource called the Faith in the Workplace Guide. And if you go to adflegal.org, um, and there's actually if you type in Faith in the Workplace, no spaces, um, it will go and you'll get, you can register and, and receive a free PDF copy of our 37-page uh, manual. It's not employment, but it, it's, it's your guide for faith in the workplace. And it answers a lot of questions with the legal backup of, well, can I have this Bible study? Yes, you can, and this is why. And this is what you need to do. And then in the appendix, we're talking about our statement of faith, you can go to that appendix and we have examples of what you can use. And we, wow. I, I say you can, you can copy it, you can plagiarize, no one's going to get you in trouble, uh, no one's coming after you, this is a free resource. And, and then on top of all that, um, you know, through these different networks, I will also help these individual businesses with seeing their statement of faith or reviewing their employee manual, what they have with respect to the items of freedom of religion, free speech and, and those type of employment matters. And so I, I will actually counsel them and say, I change this, I change this, I do this, uh, make it known. Um, wow. So that's, that's, that's I, where I'd go is that faith. I like kind. that kind of attorney, you know, that you've got this handbook of advice as opposed to the $500 per hour advice. Uh, wow. That's very interesting. Well, Bob, I thank you so much for joining us here on the Benedictine College campus, and I wish you very well. I, I thank God for ADF and what they're doing, 
and I wish you all the blessings as you and ADF pursue uh, the good. Well, thank you, Dave. It's been a real pleasure. So I enjoyed being with you and your audience today. We hope you enjoyed the Benedictine Dialogues, a production of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. To catch all the latest and support our growing platform, visit media.benedictine.edu. And be sure to recommend this show to your friends and family. Help us to transform culture in America, one conversation at a time.